We're on the record. I'm Sheila Cass. Good morning. The Baltimore Young Family Success Fund, the city's guaranteed income pilot project, began sending out payments six months ago. The fund is an opportunity for young, low-income parents living in Baltimore to receive monthly payments of $1,000, money they can spend however they choose. Payments will be distributed for two years. The pilot is a collaboration between the City of Baltimore, the Cash Campaign of Maryland, the group Mayors for a Guaranteed Income, and the financial technology company Steady. Low-income applicants were chosen by lottery. What impact are these payments having? How are participants spending this money? Tanea Moore is the senior policy manager for the Cash Campaign of Maryland, a nonprofit helping to administer the program. Welcome to the show. I'm glad to be here. Thank you. Glad to have you. There are three groups in the overall study of this program, the control group that does not receive the funds, the treatment group, and the storytelling group. Parents in the treatment and storytelling groups do receive the $1,000 a month. What's the difference between these two groups? There's 130 people in our treatment group. This means that these are people who are receiving the monthly payments. Um, They're also a part of the research study, which includes both quantitative surveys and qualitative interviews. Um, There's 70 people in our storytelling group, which means, again, these are people who are receiving the payments, but their experience is a little different because cash actually have, we have a chance to interact with them. Um, This is a chance for these 70 participants to share their stories, um, whether it's through media interviews, whether it's something that we're posting on our website, whether we're sharing their pictures. Um, we cash really get to have a hand-on experience with the 70 people in the storytelling group only. Um, and then the additional 156 people who are in our control group, um, these are people who do not receive the monthly benefits, but they do receive some type of um, incentive for participating in surveys or interviews, which happens about every six months. Some type of incentive means a small stipend. Yes. Give us a broad picture of the participants. What what what's the racial makeup? So for our treatment group and control group, there's about 178 women um and then about 22 men. Most of our participants identify as African American. We have about 2% of participants who identify as white. Um I think 1% of who identify as Asian, and then 2% as uh, Latino, and then we do have some people who um, identified as other um, and or mixed. The average age um, for our participants, for our groups is 22 years old. Um, And I will also say that most of our participants have between one or two children. Although we we do have some households where um, we see that parents have, have reported having four or five children in their household as well. And these are mostly single-parent households? Mostly single-parent, yes. Are most people in the program working? And if so, what's their typical income level? So the average monthly household income is around $1,300 for our participants. Most of them are working. We do see a majority of our participants working full-time. However, um, we have seen, especially with the storytelling group, a lot of the participants work part-time or they're working multiple part-time jobs. We have one mom in particular who was working three part-time jobs when the program first um, began, but now um, she has found a a job in in the field that she would like to pursue. So she has one full-time job, which is great. Mm. Um, But but again, most of our our participants do work full-time. Where in Baltimore? 
do they live? So there's a pretty even spread between East and West Baltimore. Um, in East Baltimore, we see a lot of our participants living in the Bel Air, Edison, and Highland Town area. In West Baltimore, we see a lot of our participants living in the Windsor um, Hills and Sandtown area. And are they living in apartments? Most of them, yes, are living in apartments. We do see that a lot of our participants are actually living in multi-generational households, um, but a lot of them are living in apartments or have some type of roommate situation going on. Um, we actually did have 26 participants at the beginning of the program identify as being unhoused. Um, there's a few participants in particular who were in the storytelling cohort who had identified as being unhoused and from our last conversations with them, they either have found secured housing um, or living with a roommate or um, going through the process of finding secure housing for them and their family. How do participants receive the $1,000 a month? So we have around 30 participants who receive their payment through a prepaid debit card through study and about 170 participants who receive their payments through their bank accounts, which is linked through the study app. Um, in the beginning of Cash's onboarding process, we gave everyone the opportunity um, to open up bank accounts. We helped people open up bank accounts, but it, we did still have some people who just did not want a bank account. They preferred the study prepaid debit card. How does the Cash Campaign of Maryland track the spending? All of that is done through our study app. Everything is tracked per swipe. So you know, the downside of that is because the data is collected per swipe for people who are using things like checks to pay their rent, um, that data isn't captured, but everything else, like when they're going to the grocery stores, um, if they're going to Walmart, all of that stuff is, is being captured. All of that data is being captured. You supervised the process of bringing parents into the program. What did you notice about that process? So the first thing that I noticed it was just how difficult it was to stay in contact with people. Early on, we realized like, okay, we part of our internal process, Cash needs to make sure that we are setting up email addresses for every single participant. We have participants who have shared email addresses with their friends or their parents. We had people who shared cell phones. So just finding a steady and secure way to get in contact with our participants was our, was our first priority. Another thing that we noticed is that um, people really thought that this program was a scam. A lot of people didn't answer our phone calls or respond to our emails because they were afraid. They didn't believe that the city was actually doing something like this to help families. Um, so just breaking that that notion of people thinking that this guaranteed income pilot was a scam, we had to send letters to people's houses and get them to trust, you know, get, get, get them to trust cash and complete their onboarding process. And once they finish, once they, I think a lot of people actually didn't trust it up until August 15th when they received their first payment. <laughs> and they gave them some relief. They're like, okay, this is this is real. And when you say get them to trust cash, you mean the Cash Campaign of Maryland? Yes, the Cash Campaign of Maryland, yep. This is On the Record. I'm Sheila Cass speaking with Tanea Moore of the Cash Campaign of Maryland. The nonprofit is helping administer the Baltimore Young Family Success Fund, a two-year guaranteed income pilot program that distributes $1,000 each month to 200 young parents in the city. Anecdotally, what have participants shared about the effects of receiving this money? 
We have a lot of people who have said they're able to provide for their families, whether it's celebrating their child's birthday for the first time, being able to afford Christmas gifts for their chi- for their children, um, being able to afford basic necessities like coats and jackets. Um, we had one participant and her child in our office about three weeks ago, and she was just so excited because her son was turning three years old, and for the first time, she can actually afford a birthday cake for him on her own without getting support from families or friends. Um, so just seeing that, that type of impact. We've also heard about how how the paint the monthly payments are improving people's um, mental health people parents feel like you know their, their mental health is improving because they have the resources now to be able to provide for themselves and their families and have the ability to save money the ability to secure housing um, a lot of participants talk about breaking generational curses so it's more than just money it's it's more than just resources it's actually helping these families build a future for their for their families. Is rent a big part of what they're spending this money on? Yes, I would say rent is, is, from what we hear, rent is like the number one thing. I would say that the cash campaign, we're constantly receiving um, letters of verification, validation from leasing offices where our participants are trying to um, go move into a new apartment, but we have the leasing centers coming to us to make sure and confirm that they are in the program. We get about three letters every week. So that right there just shows us that people are moving into, um, people are securing housing and moving into stable and, and better households for themselves. The Pew Research Center found that a slim majority of U.S. adults would oppose a federal guaranteed income program if one materialized. What What would you tell people who oppose it? Do you, Do you think there are misconceptions? There are definitely misconceptions. It gets into the notion of deserving versus undeserving. What I always say is that families know exactly what they need to do to provide for their households. Um, people just need the resources and the help to be able to do it. Um, we know that when families have resources and the, the support that they need, um, they are more equipped to handle things like paying for childcare, reducing food insecurity, seeking employment, which in return supports the growth of the local economy and small businesses within our, within our communities here in Baltimore. There are other cities across the country working to get guaranteed income pilot programs off the ground. W- what advice have you shared with them? Most of our advice has been around the onboarding process, um, making sure that the payment, the first payment date does not have to be delayed. Um, Baltimore was one of the um, few cities who did not have to push back their first payment date. So when we said first payment will go out August 15th, we stuck to that. We didn't have to push that back and we know how much that meant for participants. That's number one. Number two is just making sure that you have a secure way to get in contact with with participants. And then the number three, the biggest thing is making sure that pilots across the country have some type of next of kin form. Um, We have had, unfortunately, a participant who passed away in the middle of the program. Mm. Um, But when you have that next of kin form in line, it makes sure that the the families are still able to receive the monthly payment um, of the $1,000 a month. So I would say those are the three biggest things. This money is temporary. In a year and a half, the pilot will be over. How do you prepare folks for that horizon? So one of the things um, that Cash actually organized was a family picture day and a resource fair in November. Um, Not only did participants have a chance to 
come meet cash staff and and other people they had a chance to take pictures they were giving a, a 100 photo credit to choose whatever pictures they wanted but we also had resources like center for urban families head start programs maryland 529 maryland family network um, renters united because a lot of our participants were asked we we listened to our participants we asked them what resources do they need from us and we made sure that we had all of those people um at the event um, so that's that's one way. Another way is cash with our um, Baltimore City Advisory Committee. Within the next few months, we will start working on our, our offboarding process. So just like how we had an onboarding process for the program, pre preparing the participants, we would do the same thing, um, preparing the participants to no longer receive the, the funds. So our offboarding process will include financial education. Um, again, we'll do benefit screening with them, benefits counseling, whatever else that the participants need. So it's not just like, a okay, here's your last payment and that's it. We want to make sure that the families are secure, the families are building savings, and that they're they're. We want to see them better off after the program. We don't, we don't want to leave them where they started. We we truly want to make sure that there's a difference with them and their families. Tanea, thank you. No problem. Tanea Moore is the senior policy manager for the Cash Campaign of Maryland. Short break on the record. When we're back, we hear from a mother about the impact on her family and from social scientists on what they might learn. I'm Sheila Cass. Stay with us. I'm Al Waller. I'm Katherine Collinson. And I'm Mihaela Vince. In upcoming episodes of Clear Path, Your Roadmap for Life, we'll discuss ways to catch up on retirement savings and the importance of self-care. Tune in to WYPR's website and mobile app, all major podcast platforms, and transamericainstitute.org. Welcome back to On the Record. I'm Sheila Cast. Baltimore's Guaranteed Income Pilot Program, called the Baltimore Young Family Success Fund, has been underway for half a year, sending $1,000 each month to the bank accounts or debit cards of 200 young parents. How are they spending that money? What difference has it made for their families? Jules Hawkins is 21 years old and lives in East Baltimore. She's a member of the pilot program's storytelling cohort. Welcome to the show, Jules. Hi. Hi. You are the mother of two. Tell us about your family. I'm a single mom. I have two boys. Their names is Tymir and Tyvon. Tymir is three and Tyvon is 10 months. Uh-huh. How did you hear about this program? Well, one of my family members, like, told me about it because, like, they thought that it could help me and benefit me so when they sent me about it I read about it and I was like oh yeah this can help me and benefit me was it hard to get into it I mean did you did you have to jump through any hoops or what was involved it was like a link and you had to fill it out once I filled it out that was it and then like I think it was either a couple like a month later or two even a month later or two, that's when I got a call and was like, I was in the program. But at first, I didn't believe it because it was like a random call. I thought it was like a scam, but 
once I started seeing the process and stuff and everything, then I believed it. Describe your financial situation before you joined this program. I was struggling to take care of myself or my kid. Like, I used to be homeless. I really, like, my family really didn't really care about me and stuff. So I was just, like, used to go to house to house. And I was trying to get on my feet. I hear one of your sons there. Were you working? No, because I never had a babysitter. Uh, Nobody didn't want to deal with me because I had a child or they didn't want to watch him or stuff like that. So I was trying to be the best parent I could be. Yeah. So what did that precarious financial picture mean for your housing options? Well, I was staying with a relative, like, things wasn't, like, really good, so it was, like, it was, like, really toxic, so, like, before I got on my, before I got my own place and stuff, I've been trying to, like, find research that can help me, like, low-income housing and stuff like that, but nothing never came through. And now you've received six months of payments from the Success Fund. What what has changed since August? Well, since August, I got my own place with me and my kids. That's one of the biggest steps. I put a roof over their head, and I'm glad that I could do that. What typically are your biggest monthly expenses? I say my rent, like rent. And, like, personal care stuff for my sons, because babies are expensive. At the end of this program, in about a year and a half, where do you want to be? I don't know. I just would want to be able to know that I can keep a roof over my head. What does it feel like to be in this program? Um, it feels good Why? knowing that you have people that's like trying to help young mothers and families and stuff. What would you say to people who look at this program that doesn't put strings on how you spend the money and they think it's they think that's unfair or irresponsible? What would you say to them? Me personally, how I feel for what I will probably say is like I don't know how to explain it. Like, um basically I will put it like everybody needs a chance. Like life is hard, people struggle and like I feel like everybody deserves something in life and like everybody don't got it, everybody's not perfect. Stuff people, everybody struggles a lot. So I feel as though this was a good thing that this program came about, if that answers your question. It does, Jules. I really appreciate your sharing your thoughts. Thank you so much. You're welcome. 
I'm Sheila Cast. This is On the Record on WYPR. We're talking about Baltimore's Guaranteed Income Pilot Program, a two-year initiative to provide $1,000 a month to 200 young parents with low incomes. About 30 cities across the country are testing guaranteed income approaches. In May, before participants for Baltimore's pilot were selected by lottery, I spoke with Stacia West of the Center for Guaranteed Income Research at the University of Pennsylvania and Hopkins epidemiologist Lorraine Dean, who's on the steering committee for Baltimore's pilot, about the research on such programs. I asked Stacia West how people in guaranteed income programs typically spend the money. People spend the money in the way that you would you would anticipate any family, right, to spend the money. I think one of the things that's most interesting about our social safety net in the U.S. is we have really codified this paternalism around how poor people spend money. Rotisserie chicken is my favorite example of this. So I'm a working mom. After a long day, I'm going to stop by my local grocery store and pick up a rotisserie chicken and take it home to my kids and know that I don't have to heat it up or any of these sorts of things. Another woman who similarly has kids at home will have to stop by that same grocery store and pick up the cold rotisserie chicken because she receives SNAP benefits or food stamps, as we call them. So what is wrong with our social safety net that we have policed down to the dinner table what you know, working moms who aren't earning a living wage are able to provide. So looking at guaranteed income, we understand this is an answer to the flexible needs of all families. And so if we look at spending patterns, we see grocery store spending tops out typically around 40%. I hope everybody gets a hot rotisserie chicken because it's so much easier. But we also see spending on things like housing, utilities, transportation. Those are the most common categories. Lorraine, this program is targeted to low-income families with children. Talk about the connection between poverty and health. In epidemiology in my field, we've long talked about something that we call the socioeconomic gradient of health. And essentially the concept behind the socioeconomic gradient of health is that we know that as people's economic resources are increasing or higher, their health is higher. And we see that across a number of different outcomes for things as big as life expectancy to as potentially close to us as health behaviors and daily nutrition choices. So when it comes to thinking about poverty and health, it affects people's behaviors, it affects their mental health and distress, as well as their physical health outcomes. And then importantly, it affects what we call the social determinants of health. So it could also affect health through things like housing or economic ability to afford certain things or to even recreate or for physical activity. And I would say Baltimore in particular is a unique place to think about this because this isn't the first time that Baltimore has had an initiative of this sort. Baltimore was one of the sites for the moving to opportunity experiment, which happened back in the late 90s, early 2000s. And there we saw a lot of health outcomes, not just for the adults in the program, but also for the next generation. So better mental health, better physical health, lower criminal injustice involvement, longer years of education, just through and through health and social determinants of health were improved when people were lifted out of poverty. Stacia, skeptics of guaranteed income programs suggest that giving people free money discourages work. 
What is the evidence about the effects such programs tend to have on employment? Sure. We've seen no experimentation dating back to the 1960s in the U.S. or even an international context that would indicate it has any labor market effects. In fact, one of the things that we found in the Stockton experiment is that providing an income floor actually allows people to explore new opportunities to secure childcare, to go out for a job interview that they couldn't have previously taken that day off of work in order to attend. Um, so what we are starting to see is that in the U.S. is a trend toward more positive employment outcomes. Lorraine, as I understand it, along with Stacia and other investigators, you're going to collect information throughout the pilot period. What, what will you be studying? Baltimore is particularly interested in thinking about what's happening inside of the home and particularly with the families, since this program focuses on young adult parents. One important takeaway from this is the ability to reframe how we think about people with low income in the United States. I really think that we need to shift from thinking about poverty as a personal failure to thinking about it as a policy failure that can have a policy solution. And guaranteed income is something that could be a policy solution in that sense. And those aren't my words. I'm quoting someone else who's used those words in that framing. But I do think it's an important message as we think about what we're doing here. Lorraine Dean is an associate professor in the Department of Epidemiology at Johns Hopkins Bloomberg School of Public Health. Stacia West is a co-founder of the Center for Guaranteed Income Research at the University of Pennsylvania. They're part of the team studying Baltimore's Guaranteed Income Pilot Program. We spoke in May. At the On the Record page at WYPR.org, we have links to more information about similar pilots across the country. I'm Sheila Cass. Glad you're with us on the record. Come back tomorrow.